0: Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, and we are here to give you thanks. We're here to give you thanks because you have been so good to us. Sometimes we need to take a step back and and really look at all the things that you've done for us so that we can rightly give you thanks. Your love endures forever, forever you are strong. If we look back on uh, the, the test of time and how you've cared for your people, look at our own lives and, and see how much you've cared for us. That's why we sing praise because of who you are and what you've done. The love that we don't deserve by any means by any stretch of our own imagination. But you loved us anyway. You care for us anyway. Father, we give you thanks for that. Our heart is full of thanksgiving. Help us to to keep that in our minds. Help us to do all things to you and for you because of what you've done for us. And again, let us not keep this good news to ourselves. Help us to share it with others that they might have the same hope that we have in you. Father, as we open up your text today, give me the words to say and how to say them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. So in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, good morning again, family. Thank you. Good morning. Again, a hearty good morning from for some of you. That's That's good. I like to hear that. It's okay to talk back sometimes. So just to make sure that, that you're you're tracking with me, that, that I'm saying some stuff that makes sense. That's okay. This morning we're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. This morning we're in Acts chapter 27. Um, if you have been with us uh, as long as you have lived, if you lived long enough, you'll find that life is filled with various twists and turns. There's no straight path when it comes to living our lives. Often when we think about or we look at people who are successful, we think um, they started something and all of a sudden they were successful. But that's not how things work. That's not how life works. Sometimes life is slow. Sometimes life is calm. Sometimes life is dangerous. Sometimes life is disastrous. Life is full of surprises when you think some sometimes things are just going really well, you got things worked out. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Full of surprises. And for some reason, people believe that once you become a Christian, that everything is easy. Is that true? Has anybody experienced that? Like, it's been smooth sailing since you submitted your life to Christ. We have this idea that if things are going our way, that if you're successful, if you have a lot of things, that you're blessed. That's interesting how we use that term these days. to talk about what blessing is. There are charlatans out there or false prophets that would have you believe that you can live your best life now, that you can have all the desires of your heart. Unfortunately, this only makes sense if either you don't believe in eternity or you don't expect your eternity to be that good. You expect eternity to be, to be miserable. So because you know your eternity is going to be really bad, then let's have our best life now. That's the only way that makes sense to me. If you follow Christ, if you believe in him, your best life is yet to come. Your best life is in heaven. It's in the glories of heaven where there's eternal life, there's, there's righteousness, there's joy, and the perfection of, of being in the presence of God. That's what we have to look forward to if you are a Christ follower. But these so-called Prosperity preachers would lead people to believe that if you have enough faith, if you have enough courage and you sow the right seeds, then you'll be healthy and wealthy. I don't know where they get this from. That's not how my Bible reads. I had someone tell me once before that, that I shouldn't call out people in their ministries because it causes division in the church. Well, my responsibility here as an under-shepherd is to fend against wolves. My job here is to present the true gospel so that you can identify fakes. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't deserve to be here and it's not causing division hopefully, is speaking to your hearts and saving souls so you you don't go down the wide path everybody else is going down. Hopefully, by bringing this to your attention, it brings you back to the narrow path, the one that leads to to God. When I was in college, I worked as a bank teller, and um, one of our jobs is to be able to identify counterfeit currency. You know, what's interesting about that is they didn't just give us a, a desk full of counterfeits to look at and learn from. No, they, they gave us the, the genuine article. They gave us the, 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 the bills for us to look at. And the, the way they construct this, this paper money that we carry around, they put different features in it so that you can know what's real and what's fake. And so as a bank teller, well, we have to go and understand. Well, first of all, you got to know who's on the front. I mean, you would be surprised, but if somebody gave you a $20 bill with Abraham Lincoln on the front, you like, oh, hold on, hold on. I, I don't, I can't accept this. So that's, I mean, that's very. Uh, things right in your face, you, you missed this here then, then you you know, but there's a lot of other things that are going on on these bills and you hold it up to the light you can you can see it, see things through it. there's the, the denominations that are imprinted embossed on it and, and believe it, there are red and blue fibers. This is made from cotton and linen to have a specific feel. It weighs a certain amount. And as a teller, this was before they had the machines you can go through. I'm I'm dating myself and the markers you can draw on it. But we had to be able to look at the bill to be able to identify whether it was real or it was fake. And then so when the counterfeit came in, I was like, yeah, I don't see there's no fibers in this. It actually is a lot heavier than a a real bill. It's not as smooth. It doesn't have the denominator. So I'm able to pick out the features that are missing because I know what the genuine article looks like. Now, if if it's that important at the bank, how much more important is it for us to be able to identify the true gospel versus a counterfeit gospel? I mean, this is life or death, literally, in Galatians 1 and 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there is some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven would teach to you a gospel contrary to one we preached, let them be accursed. As I've said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you believe, let them be accursed. We let this sink into the, the churches these days. They, because these folks are on TV, you think, well, it's got to be true and genuine. But the way we test that is by knowing the genuine article. The way you test it is to go into your Bible and read it for yourself to be able to identify the true from the fake. These false teachers should be a curse because they would have you believe that if you're not wealthy, if you're not healthy, then you are not blessed. But that's not what we read in scripture. That's not how it looks. You mean to tell me that uh, the early Christians who were martyred, who were hanged, who were beaten, it was all for nothing? By their standards, what well, we've read up to, about Paul up to this point, he wouldn't be blessed either, would he? And his life doesn't look like some of these, these so called preachers do, but he was the most influential person that we have, having written the majority of our New Testament. Make this make sense for me. Like, how do you people fall for this? Because they don't know the genuine article. They don't spend enough time with God. They don't spend enough time in the scriptures to be able to understand and see what's true versus fiction. Second Corinthians, Paul reminds us what he's been through. Tell me if this sounds blessed to you by our worldly definition. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A a night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger from the city, danger from the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. These folks nowadays like, well, Paul, you didn't have enough faith. Paul, you didn't believe enough. You didn't sow the right seed. Mm. Does that sound like Paul was living his best life? I think they skip over these parts intentionally in some of these churches because it doesn't fit into their narrative. Paul knew what he signed up for. He knew what awaited them. He had his eyes set on eternity. He knew it was going to be much greater than the life he was yet living. James puts it this way in James 4 and 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This time that we... It's this this life that we hold on to so strongly is just a blip in the radar, in the spance of eternity. When you think about what eternity is, man, that's a long time. <laughs> I don't care how old you are today, eternity is even longer. Paul had his sights on this when First Peter 1 and 4 says, uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is... What Paul had in mind as he went through all the struggles and strife of his own life. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you, you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that you can't be successful. But what I'm saying is that should not be your aim. That's not the goal for us as Christians. Our goal is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What we get to see this morning is the continued faithfulness of God. Here, I want, I want you to take this home with you today. If you don't get anything else as we're going through the text, as, as, as we're, we're talking about this, here's what I want you to get. It's because of God's continued faithfulness that we can trust him. God has shown himself for the the entirety of the the scriptures that we read. And hopefully you've seen this in your own life, that that God is faithful. And as Luke writes about this final leg of Paul's journey to Rome, he slows down, he takes his time, and he gives us a lot of details so that we can see that even in times are bad, that we can trust God even when things don't seem to be going our way, God is still faithful. Look with me, Acts 27 verse one. It says, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they uh, delivered Paul and uh, some other prisoners to the centurion of Augustine and a cohort named Julius and embarked in a ship of Adorantium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. And we put to sea uh, accompanied by Aristarchus and a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Judas, uh, Julius uh, treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, he sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, We came to Mira in Lysias. We'll pause there to catch you up to speed. Um, We're headed to Paul's final destination. His goal and his aim is to get to Rome. God's purpose for Paul is for him to get to Rome so that he can bear witness and be able to share the gospel. And at this time, As Paul is sailing, we look at Rome It's the center of the known world at the time. It's a strategic place that um, uh, ends up being able to get the gospel to various nations because everything went in and out of Rome. They had built it up so much that this had become a powerful political center of that very world. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, we kind of see the U.S., as this today. We see the U.S. as a central place that other countries watch to see if what we're doing to determine the direction and the things that they're taking place as well. So we see Rome, they're, they're, they're on the forefront of all of this and they're, they're building uh, various roads so you can get in and out, get imports and exports. And along with those things, uh, just by uh, happenstance, which we know that's not the case because God is in control. He's the one orchestrating all this. We also see the proliferation of the gospel. Similar to um, the, the roads that we see constructed in Rome, we, we have something similar. I think that we have a very similar opportunity here today as was going on in Rome, and we see the, the gospel just boom we have a very similar opportunity as well. And this is because of something that we used to call the information superhighway. It's very old term for the internet. It's, It's great to see what's happening. I mean, it's also kind of detrimental what we see on the internet as well, but by and large, Uh, the information that just like it was being shared in Rome, we see the internet and social media gives us an opportunity to be able to share and for information to get out there to a wider audience. What a, a great gospel opportunity we have with the internet, just as we see with Rome. YouTube, for example, has nearly 122 million active users. And these 122 million people They watch a billion hours of content. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of people spending their time on YouTube alone. And that's not just that's not counting the other networks out there that we have, the, the, you know, the TikToks and the, the Facebooks and all these other things. What an opportunity it is for us to use these avenues, much like they use the Roman roads in order to get the gospel out to the masses to get the gospel out to the nations. We have a huge opportunity, just like they did some 2,000 years ago. But back to this particular trip here with Paul, they sail to Myrna and they they jump on this, this grain ship. And even though this ship was big, it wasn't any match for the Mediterranean Sea. Look with me in verse 13. It says, now when the south wind blew gently, Uh, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed an anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon the tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of the small island called Cauta, We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the the service, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently uh, storm-tossed, they began the, the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, neither the sun or the stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is where, if we were watching this on TV, there would be a commercial break. Because as start, things start to go, and, and I'm like, I can't believe what's happening, they're in this, this Northeaster and being uh, shipped here and there, and they're throwing stuff overboard. Let's pause for a commercial break when you're waiting to see what's going to happen. How is this story going to, how are they going to outlast this storm? Why are they throwing everything overboard? In order to stay alive, they dumped all their cargo and everything else that they could spare just to lighten the load. They were panicking. They didn't know what to do. They're like, well, I don't think we're going to make it. Hey, I don't know who you pray to, but you might want to start praying because this doesn't look good for us. The way the storm is, there's no way that we're gonna get through. But luckily they had Paul on board, right? Luckily they had the apostle, the super evangelist on board. He was gonna get everybody straight, right? He was gonna be an encouragement to these folks, right? Look at verse 21. He says, since they have been out without food, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not sail, sail from Crete and incur these injuries and losses. Paul stands up like, hey, I, I tried to tell you. I told you so. I told you, I, I tried to tell you we shouldn't do this, but y'all didn't want to listen. Y'all want to do your own thing. And here we are. Now, I told you so. You just don't want to listen. That sounds like something I would say. And fortunately, he didn't stop there. Because I would have just been like, see, I mean, I don't what you going to do now. You got yourself into this mess. But no, Paul doesn't stop. In verse 22, he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You, have, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you and all who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. So it was good after all to have Paul on board, to have him there to provide this encouragement that he needed. Because remember, Paul had already been told he was going to get to Rome. When Paul was down and he didn't know what was going on, people were out to kill him. The Lord appeared to him. If you remember in Acts 23 and 11, it says, the night, following the night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so much you must also testify in Rome. Man, right on time to provide that encouragement to lift him up when he he needed it. Not only did he remember this, but it was reinforced because his angel came and told him the same thing. Look, go tell them that not only will you get there, but everybody who is with you will get there as well. Paul is very intentional to make sure that they understand who is in control. I mean, the captain probably thought he had some control until those winds started. The God that he belongs to and serve is the one, that he worships and he is the one that's in control. As Christians, we don't, we don't serve idols of money. We don't serve the, the idol of success. We serve and worship God in easy times and difficult times. And, and I imagine that it's easier to, to worship when we're in difficult times. Because when we have things, when things are smooth sailing for us, things are going our way, we, we get too comfortable, and we forget who's the one that got us there. But when you're, you're in the depths, when you're going through that valley, oh man, we're on our knees because we know we can't get it out by ourselves. But we need to remember through difficult times, through easy times, that God is the one in control. So as they continue to sail, they got closer to land, they dropped anchor and they were praying for daylight. It says they couldn't see anything. There was no stars, there was no sun, there was no, no moon, nothing, darkness. And they were losing hope. Since they hadn't eaten, Paul encourages them to eat and start to build up their strength. And he takes the opportunity to pray and thank God for delivering them from the storm. As they are going through And Luke, as this is happening, you know, the storm is subsiding. They're, they're starting to go, and they're about to approach land. Luke comes up, and he takes a quick head count. Luke is there on the ship with them, and he's like, mm. and he tells us there are 276 witnesses to Paul's prophecies. Who Paul stood before them. And it's like, hey, this, this is the God that I serve. This is the God that I worship, and he is the one who's going to see us through. Everybody is able to then eat. And they're all safe from the storm. The clear picture that we get from this is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in his grace. God was in control of every detail of this particular voyage so that everyone on the ship would know that he is Lord. Like I said, there are probably of these 200 people, you know. I don't know if there were many that were serving the Lord, and they probably had their own gods and their, their own idols. And, and as they are praying to this or doing whatever they do to these, these false gods, they're like, well, this, this thing ain't working. But Paul's God. Maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something. I mean, just how Paul is carrying himself through this. There's got to be something to this God that he serves. The reason that everyone on the ship arrived safely is because they were obedient to to him and listened to what Paul instructed. Brothers and sisters, you're not meant to have your best life now. I mean, it's okay if you have some success and that you got money in your pocket, you got a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we need to go through storms in our life so that we can get reminded about who is actually in control. That we serve a God who is sovereign over everything. Let me ask you a question. This is a real question. I want to, I want some feedback here. How many of you have had bad days? I see just about everybody raising their hand. If you haven't had bad days, man, do you, let, let me spend some time with you. I want to figure out what you're doing. But nearly everybody here raised their hand. And because of you, if you have had bad days, you have a a 100% track record of making it through. You got a perfect record of making it through all the bad days that have come before. That should encourage you. That should encourage you here today that you are able to be here today and, and testify. Remember, we talked about testimonies last week to be able to testify about God's goodness and God's grace in your life, that you're able to sit here today. How encouraging is that to you? God was there with you and he brought you through each of those bad days. Each of those storms, God was there with you and brought you through. He brought you through your sickness. He brought you through your shame. He brought you through your addictions. He brought you through your grief. He brought you through your sadness every single time, 100%. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He is faithful to be trusted. He showed up every single time, even when you weren't looking for him. Even when you thought you knew better and said, I can get by this on my own. He's like, I got it. He did it anyway. He is faithful to be trusted. In the midst of these challenges in life, we get to trust God and his sovereignty that he will deliver us. Just like we saw here with Paul and all these this ragtag bunch here on this sea. Bad decision after bad decision. Remember, Paul is being falsely accused And look at the amount of grace that he extends because of what was extended to him. Another lesson for us. So I don't know what you're going through today. Today might be one of those bad days for you, but I'm here to tell you that we serve a God who's in control. I want to encourage you today that that we serve a God who is there to see you through. Whatever bad thing or challenge that you have in your own life, if you think about a sword and how a sword is made, you go through and it's exposed to a, a, a lot of fire and flame, and you have a mallet and you're just banging on it, banging on it, banging on it. I mean, it's destructive. It's dangerous when you're going through and shaping this metal into something, but. Look at the finished product. If you hold a sword up and it's got that mirror finish and it looks pristine, but it wouldn't have been able to get there if it hadn't gone through the, the fire, the banging, the molding. That's what it took. That's what it takes for us. This reminder that, uh, of how great of a God that we serve how good he is to us. And this memory of that is there so we can have hope. As bad as things are right now, we can have hope. It might not come in this life, but we have hope for eternity where we know there will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more frustration, no more anger, no more fear, no more strife. We might not have it here today. We might not have it in this life, but we look forward to the life ahead. God is continuously at work accomplishing his purposes. Trust him.